I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, welcome back to the channel, coming to you from a slightly different setting today. Just finished filming uh, the 90 Min gas tank, which you can check out on the 90 Min YouTube channel. Lots and lots uh, of gas today off the back of Manchester United's heavy defeat at Brentford. We talked the Battle of the Bridge round two, and we touched on Arsenal's victory over Leicester City, among other things. But joining me here, uh, Mike Stavrou in the flesh, mate. How are you doing? It's been a long time, mate. It's been a long time. I'd say this is a slight upgrade to the man cave. Not quite got the equipment and stuff that we usually have, but you know, we've got to, we've got to smash out front of course now. Have to do it. Gotta do it. You're right. We, we're not using the proper cameras. We don't even have a proper microphone in front of us. So apologies in advance if the sound quality is not great, but it is what it is. I didn't want to waste the opportunity of being able to sit alongside Mike and recording a show. So here we are. Uh, we're going to start off by talking about Arsenal, but we're also going to round up some of the big stories from the Premier League this weekend. Um, let's begin with the Gunners, because, Mike, you were at Emirates yeah. Stadium as well at the weekend. Um, the point I really wanted to highlight, because we we talked a lot on the show, sort of the Instant Reaction show and then the, the review podcast, we talked about Martinelli, we talked about Xhaka, Zinchenko, mm. all of those other elements, William Saliba. But I really wanted to home in on Gabriel Jesus here, because... I mean, what a difference having a top striker makes. He, I think, dug us out of... I, I don't want to call it a hole because I don't think Arsenal were playing badly. But I didn't think we started the game with the intensity that we did at Palace, for example. Yeah. But to have a striker that can produce a goal like the one he did to get us off the mark is really something we've been missing for a while. How much of a difference has he made to Arsenal for you? He's a game-changer. He's an absolute game-changer, I think. He's everything that we've been crying out for. Um, and I'm just going to mention it again. And I'm going to mention it every time I'm on, but I, I, I did call it. I did call you it. Did. I said I, I called him out as, as a kind of perfect player for us because not only does he fit the system, but he's a player that has got huge potential. You know, he's only 25 years old. Um, we saw flashes of that brilliance at Man City, but it was just unfortunate that he had one of the Premier's best of strikers in Aguero ahead of him. And now he's ready to explode. And that's what that's what he's done. I think he has got immense quality and we saw that against Palace without the end product and against Leicester, he added the end product, which is what we needed. And, you know, I think last year, this game, if we were playing Lacazette, we probably would have drawn 1-1, 2-2. But it just so happened that that firepower, because he was involved in every single goal, he literally, you know, the, the, the first goal, was just a moment of complete genius. The second goal, right place, right time. And then third and fourth goals, he was, you know, at the centre of it. So he just adds, you know, that different element, that different class, the different level that we need to to progress. And uh, another thing, like being in the stadium as well, it's just the energy. Like people feed off it. When, when, when he's there and he's got these like incredible little touches and they're all playing like tiny, you know, link up play in a tiny little space, which we've not really had before. With like four players, you know, five players, Jesus, Martinelli, Xhaka, Zinchenko, you know, all combining in, in, a, in a small place. It, it lifts the crowd because we've not seen football like that since the Wenger years. We've not had those technicians in the team since, you know, since like <coughs> Kleb, Nasri, uh, Santi Cazorla, you know, Van Persie. The technicians is what we've missed. 
Um, and it's, yeah, it's just great to see, man. It's great to see. It is indeed. Um, we've got the first comment about the uh, quality of the video. Clean lens or readjust the focus. We've not got any equipment with us. We're literally filming this on the built-in laptop camera, which isn't great. And the lighting isn't helping either. Uh, so apologies for that. But as I said, this is an impromptu episode that we've decided to do here uh, before we set off back home after, uh, of course, uh, recording the 90-min gas tank. Uh, big hello to everybody who's joining us in the live chat at the moment. If you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video and subscribe to the channel as well if you are new. Um, you've, you've touched on all of it there, I think. Gabriel Jesus, what a difference he makes. You, you spoke about the energy. I think that's really important. But I yeah. think there's an energy around Arsenal in general now that is yeah. much better than anything we've seen in recent years. I think the crowd are much more willing to just stay with the team, get behind the team. I know we talked about it all weekend, but the way the crowd responded to Saliba scoring that own goal, I thought was really impressive. Yeah. And you can just feel that there's a good vibe and a good atmosphere around the Emirates Stadium. How much of a part do you think the Amazon dock has played in that? Because I think it has played a part. I think people that were perhaps on the fence about Mikel Arteta yeah. can now at the very least see that his intentions are right, that he has a genuine love for the club and that he's desperate to succeed here. Some of the methods have been a little bit questionable. Yeah. The diagrams, the speakers on the training ground. I know people have been yeah. critical of that. But generally speaking, I think he's come across well. And now that we've got the results to go with that, it, it does contribute, doesn't it, to people yeah, being maybe a little bit more open-minded. Yeah. I mean, look, um, as someone that, that covers the club and uh, um, when, I'm, when I'm working for Metro, I watch his press conferences every week and you know before before games after games whatever it is whenever Mikel Arteta talks I, I hear it um and the number one thing that I was struggling with with him even though I did back him um I, I didn't call for him to get sacked um in in the, in the low times I did back him but the number one gripe I had was that he was so robotic in 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 front of the media and look that that can be a good thing sometimes because sometimes you don't want to give too much away he's a young manager um, he's not, you know, well versed in in terms of tackling media. He's not like a Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola. He's not been there, done it like they have. Um, and the, the number one thing I felt was that there's a connection between the club and the fans now. Through all of the all of the players that we bought, they buy into the culture. Um, you know, like so Aaron Ramsdale, um, Ben White. I think we're making signings that are moving in the right direction. And I called that out last year. But the number one thing I didn't have was that connection with the manager because. Sometimes he'd, he'd go in front of the media and he wouldn't answer questions. He'd deflect, he'd deflect, he'd deflect. Um, he would deflect, he'd deflect. He would protect the players. He would blame the referees. And, you know, that that's fine. But in terms of his translation and how that would make me feel as an Arsenal fan, it wasn't quite there. So what the documentary has done is just shown his intentions, shown his passion um, and shown how much he cares, essentially. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, it, it showed that he was a bit apathetic, but in the media, it's just like you, you only get the blank screen and just, you know, very rudimentary answers to, to questions. Not a lot of fire, not a lot of, you know, not a lot of love, really. So I think what, what the documentary has done is just it's broken down the walls between the fans and him. Um, and I, I, I because look, what, what you need for a rebuild like this is a manager who, who galvanizes not only the team but but the fans like what what is so great about Jurgen Klopp is that the fans look at him as like a sort of father figure for, for the club and you know there's that connection there so I mean hopefully what will happen is as 
the team gets better and as results get better, Arteta will be able to open up and be himself a little bit more. And we know he has that side because of the documentary. Yeah, for sure. I think at the beginning of his managerial tenure, I, I agree with you. I think he struggled with the media a little bit. I think there was a part of him that was fearful of slipping up, yeah. of saying something that he shouldn't, of adding pressure onto himself. And he was very sort of standoffish with the media in yeah. a way. And I think when you see the behind the scenes footage, you realize that actually that's not Mikel Arteta at all. Um, he is quite open. He is quite honest. He is quite forthright in his opinions and in his views. And I think as he's developed as a manager, because remember, he hadn't done this job previously. As he's developed as a manager, he has learned more so to find that sweet spot between giving away, you know, not giving away too much, but also giving enough to appease and giving yeah. enough. Uh, a way to engage people. So I think he's he's got better at that. And that yeah. was certainly, I agree with you, one of his development areas right at the beginning of his managerial tenure. Um, let's uh, move on from Arsenal because there was a couple of other big stories that we got to discuss this weekend. Uh, we are going to be doing this on a weekly basis. We're going to be rounding up some of the big stories from the Premier League as well because I know a lot of the time when we're talking Arsenal, when we get towards the end of the shows, a lot of the questions that come our way are about Premier League in general, other clubs, other teams, our thoughts on that. So I want to make sure that we cover that off as well. Let's start at Brentford because Manchester United were absolutely battered. Yeah. Absolutely battered. Now, I know the two situations are not identical, but we started last season from a really bad place. Obviously, we had players missing. We had the COVID situation, which certainly didn't help. But there was a real feeling of anger among the fan base after those opening three games. We're two games in now, and Manchester United fans are livid. I mean, I think we can agree, right, that the problems at United stem from the top. But having yeah. been in a similar position, not yeah. exactly the same, yeah. do you have any sympathy for them? I don't. <laughs> no, because I've basically grown up and United have been have been the most successful team. Like They are the most successful team in the Premier League. Um, there was a huge rivalry. And um, when we started to decline, you know, like post post it in, invincibles you know um and the whole breakup of that team they carried on at the highest level and that was hard to see because it was like if we would have kept that invincible squad together and if we would have won the champions league basically in 2006 i think it all would have been different i'm not saying that 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 dip would have come from us but i think the the high point would have been extended further and i, I think we would have gone on to win a few more leagues um and challenged in europe um, but yeah, unfortunately, that that decline happened from then. Um, but it didn't really start with United until Ferguson left in 2013. So their success was was more was extended further essentially. So there was still always been that situation where we just despise United because of how good they are. Now it's been a steady decline. And yeah, it is great to see, man. Like, and you couldn't have written a better Saturday for an Arsenal fan, could you really? Like battering Leicester, Jesus, you know, could have scored four, five, six goals, and then you know, I, I didn't, I didn't watch the game, but I was watching the updates on my phone. One nil, two nil, three nil, four nil, and I was like, you know, this, this like, the app must have broken or something because I, I couldn't believe it. And then when I watched it back and how rudimentary some of the goals were, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take anything away from Brentford, but. They, they just knew what, what they had to do. They had to put a bit of pressure on them, close them down, and they just folded. Like, David De Gea, what is he doing? Like, 
I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And it's like, you, you've got a new manager that's come in um, that's got a very, you know, distinguishable style of football from, from Ajax. You know, Ajax play the same way, you know, no matter what manager they had since Johan Cruyff. They, they play total football, they play expansive football, they play out from the back. That is his identity. And the fact he didn't sign a goalkeeper as his number one objective at the beginning of the of the summer i can't understand it i cannot understand it it's interesting though isn't it because like you look at the managers that do like to play out from the back you, you think about it chelsea play out from the back try play out from the back eduard mendy is a goalkeeper who i don't think he's the greatest with his feet yeah. but can do that you know liverpool allison yeah. edison at manchester city aaron Claudio Bravo as well that, that yeah. was the first key that was that, the first and even though he was rubbish like in terms of shot stopping, he was really good on the ball. Yeah, that's it. There was, there's always been when those types of managers have come in. That's often yeah. been one of the first ports of call. Get a goalkeeper in who can help us start the play. And Ten Hag hasn't done that. But this is where I've got some sympathy for Ten Hag because there's a lot of criticism out there for him, and some of it is justified. We'll come on to that in a minute. But Manchester United, as a football club, have not backed this guy in the way he needs to be backed. We knew that that club, that team, that squad was rotten to the core at the back end of last season. And Eric Ten Hag has not been supported. He's not been able to go and get all of his targets in. They're still sitting there waiting for Frankie de Jong, 14, 15 weeks on, and the deal is still not done. And so I've got some sympathy for Ten Hag there. Where I don't have sympathy for Ten Hag is, though, that it doesn't look like anything's changed. At least when a new manager comes in, even if it doesn't work, you can kind of see subtle differences in the way they've been asked to play. One of the the only one that you can really see is the, the the greater desire to play out from the back, but they've made a complete shit show of it yeah. every time. So um, yeah, I think Ten Hag is is maybe a little bit out of his depth at the moment. I don't know that he can turn this around yeah. without wholesale changes in the team, which points back to the transfer market, which we're two weeks away from the end of, and they still don't look like they they've had wholesale exits. Yeah. You know, a lot of players out of contract, um, players who, you know, had, had had to come to the end of, of their career at United, literally and metaphorically, like Matic, foot, the footballs in the Premier League evolved beyond him. Paul Pogba was never really a good fit. Juan Mata, mm-hmm. you know, these 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 are big player exits, but they've not signed players who, who will fit Ten Hag's philosophy. And, you know, what I was thinking as well, you know, I think it's it's been quite easy for him. To, to go out and um, sign players from the Eredivisie. Um, and, you know, Martinez from, from Ajax, Frankie de Jong, who he played with at Ajax, Malassia, who, who was playing in, in the Eredivisie. And, you know, there's not really been that many success stories from, from that league. You know, yeah. you're, Luis Suarez, Robin Van Persie, like these are exceptional players that, that have come over and done well. But when Jurgen Klopp joined, joined Liverpool, he didn't suddenly go out and sign every single promising Bundesliga player, did he? It just didn't. Have, I think he signed Joel Matip. I think Roberto Firmino was was there before. Um, that's just not what you do. You you fit players. You get players to fit the system, not necessarily just because you know them, know yeah. of them. And I I find that baffling that a manager can can come in and the the recruitment can be so poor. To, to not give him the number one player that he that he wants firstly, but also just to allow him free reign and just say, you know, do whatever you want, target players from the Eredivisie. Like, Lissandro Martinez, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because because we were interested in him, but we wanted to play him at left-back. It was it was never an opportunity that he was going to play at centre-back. Or maybe 
maybe defensive mid, and maybe that's why we went for Zinchenko instead. But for him to play him at centre back with his obvious, you know, deficiencies, which he's been memed out of, which is a bit harsh, but you know, what can he do about that? It's just it's just stupid. Like, why are you not playing him in defensive mid? That's why that, yeah. that's why you should play, and that's that's what I don't understand anything that's going on at that club, as you say, from the top to the bottom, that the Glazers are apathetic. They don't really care what, what happens as long as the Man United brand continues. Um, so what would it take for them to for them to even consider selling up? How bad does it have to get? Do they have to be in a relegation battle? It's, it's a hard one. Um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I feel sorry for them because I don't. No. Um, I grew up absolutely despising Manchester United. You know, it was the, the height of our rivalry. I can't tend that I feel for them or feel sorry for them. But deep down, there's always been a level of respect for a football club that achieved so much under Alex Ferguson and for a football club that were dominant, you know, in the Premier League for, for so many years. So there is a tiny, tiny little part of me that thinks this is sad. But as you say, you know, from the top, it's being run really, really poorly. They brought a manager in who I don't think is the right manager, but I also think is not been helped and supported in the way that he needs um you know there's there's issues in the dressing room cristiano ronaldo get rid of him get rid of him Just he wants it, to go his contract. get rid of him let him go anywhere for a nominal fee you don't even even if they don't get any money in for him in terms of a transfer fee let him go get his salary off your books let him go he doesn't want to be there he's not helping the situation he's undermining eric ten Hag at every opportunity and this is another thing as well. He obviously didn't start the first game of the season, Cristiano Ronaldo. Anthony Martial, unfortunately, picked up an injury. He was probably due to start centre forward. They did. They still didn't turn to Ronaldo. They went for the false nine, Ericsson, Bruno, whoever it was on the day. And then the second game come around and panic stations hit. Everybody was all, all over the place. Oh, shit, we've got to bring Ronaldo back into the team. No. Yeah. Get rid of him. Yeah. He's got to go. Yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo has to and go. And I, I think he's blocking um, a new striker coming in as well. Probably because he's on five hundred grand a week. So, but it's not even it's not even just that for me because as a striker, in isolation, Cristiano Ronaldo will score you goals. Yeah, it's not that. It's all the other things that come with it. I mean, the way he threw his toys out of the pram when they were coming off the pitch. Some people say, "Oh, you know, it's great to have players like that. It's great to have leaders like that. It's great to have people." Who are passionate and who, are, who care and are desperate to succeed go and save it for the dressing room mate yeah. walk down the tunnel and do it in the dressing room because yeah. all you are doing is piling further pressure onto your manager you're giving the press another story to write about yeah. this football club i just think that they they need to move him on and, and the yeah. sooner they do that the better but yeah the performance was poor there were elements of it that were just un unforgivable inexcusable um, credit to Brentford, though. I, I think it's it's really important that we don't forget yeah. that Brentford had a really good game. And, and what I like about Brentford and I like about Thomas Frank is he's got the ability to mix it up. Yeah, They can play really nice football on the ground. They can do all of that, but they can also mix it up when they need to. They can go long, they can be direct. They've got the physicality to do that. And they looked at Lissandra just, Martinez yeah. and went... It just, it, it just shows how strong the league is now, though. Because look, Brentford finished in the bottom half. Brighton finished up around twelfth, I think. And they're tough games now. There's there's no more easy games. Like even Southampton, they they can be very Jekyll and Hyde. But on their day, with with the high intensity and and the high press, like you probably at the moment you back them to beat United. 
So when I look at, at, at United's fixtures, like what fixtures do you expect them to win? Bournemouth, maybe? Fulham? But even Fulham were really good against, against Liverpool. So, you know, the, I can't see the next winnable game for them unless something drastic changes, unless they get De Jong in finally, unless they get a striker and things finally start to click. But ultimately, I think what United need, Harry, is a rebuild like what we did and take the players out that are an issue in the dressing room, like Cristiano Ronaldo, um, get rid of them, have a, have a cultural reset. They've got really good youngsters in there, really good youngsters. And do what we did. We had Bukayo Saka coming through, we had Smith Rowe, we had Gabriel Martinelli. Build around them, make it about them. Use Garnacho, use Hannibal, you know, use some of these some of these players that, that are exciting and will, and will show passion and will, will fight. That's, that's what they need. They've, they've lost their fire. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Uh, let's move on to the other big game in the weekend, the Battle of the Bridges. It's being yes. dubbed number two. Let's just go straight into the controversies. I think we can both agree that Chelsea were by far the better side on the day, played all of the football, and I think were very, very hard done by in the decisions. Let's start with the first goal. Yeah. Foul by Benton Core, in your opinion, yes. on Havertz. Too yeah. far back for the line, uh, for the VAR to yeah. step in, you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's way way too far back. I think there's so much that happens after that you can't give it. But it's just it's just unbelievable how, how these decisions aren't given um, by the the on pitch referees. Like it's so there's not even like Anthony Taylor. He, he watches it and his explanation is that he got the ball. But can't you see the way he's he's gone through his foot? I don't understand that. I, I really don't get it. The, the officiating in this league. I, I tweeted about it last night. Efficient in this league is terrible and it's getting worse and it's costing teams points. Like Chelsea should have won that game yesterday. It's unbelievable. Did it kind of dispel the myth though that Chelsea are done, finished, not going to finish in the top four this season? For me, it showed that actually they're just as good, if not better, than the likes of Tottenham and probably even Arsenal. At yeah. this, I know Arsenal are playing well at the moment and I'm not. Yeah looking to downplay that in any way, shape or form. But Chelsea have a really talented squad, a top, top coach, an elite coach. We can't just take it as a given that we're going to finish above them. No. And neither should Spurs, based on yesterday, right? I, you know, I, I will still maintain this with Chelsea. And I, I actually said it to a, a Chelsea mate of mine during the game. I think, you know, the the front three that they had, had yesterday, Mason Mount, Raheem Sterling um, and... Uh, Kai Havertz. I think that was perfect in terms of off the ball pressing, um, but when it when it comes down to it, and you need that focal point in the box, I think they it's not quite there. And I even though you know he takes a lot away from your pressing, I think if they had someone like Olivier Giroud, he he would have absolutely you know milked it. That the 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 amount of the ball that they had, the amount of the intensity, how high they were up Spurs pit, literally. Spurs were confined to their their final third. They couldn't get every player behind the ball. If they had someone like that who can back into defenders, um, he's not going to do much for you off the ball. But they had so much. There's seventy percent possession in the first half. If they had someone like that, you know, even as an option off the off the bench, someone to change it up a bit, they they'd benefit so much more. So I think unless they go out and get uh, a different option up front, I don't see them. Um, you know, com- compete in essentially the top four. I, st- so I, I, still I think, think that. I still I, think that. I think they will. I think they're right in the mix. I think if I were a betting man, I would still bet on them ahead of both Arsenal and both Chelsea. I really, really do. Uh, Arsenal and Spurs. I beg your pardon. Where's the where, Where's the goals coming from? 
I don't think that it. I think this this uh, this notion of you need a twenty goal a season striker is an old one. I, I don't think it's necessarily. Well, that no, but you, you you need at least if you're not going to. But will, they, will Raheem you Sterling need... not get? 15 goals over well, you need 10 15 from Mount. you need 10 15 from sterling and you need 10 15 from from, from abbots you probably will get that i i, I don't i think i think you, get, think you get, think get goals from Rhys james i think you get goals from the center backs at chelsea i think that um you know they can contribute from midfield i think the likes of armando broya and uh, connor gallagher can give something to the team as well off of the bench i think that they're in much better shape than people make out I, i'm not saying that they're nailed on for the top four but I don't think Arsenal are nailed on, and I don't think Spurs are nailed on either. So I think it's very much open. Yeah, I mean, I still think there's holes in that squad. I think Koulibaly was was solid, but on the ball, for me, he was a little bit shaky. Um, Thiago Silva is obviously a veteran, but he's and, he, and he's great, but he's 37. He's not going to play every game. So I, I still think this whole... And in midfield as well, I still think they need another profile player. Kante... In the, in the second game of the season, went down injured. You can't rely on and Kovacic is injured again. You know, Gallagher is great, but I don't really think he he fits a, as a central midfielder in in that system. So I, I still think in a few key positions they're light, and um, I think Tuchel is a is, is a great manager. But if things start to go wrong, who knows? It's Chelsea. I, I expect them to add more. They're well. ruthless. Yeah, the the look, if they go in and add a striker and they go in and add a, a, a midfielder, then you know, fair play. You can say they can pick out there, but. In, in this current iteration, we have like just as a look at looking at yesterday, I just don't think they quite have that edge to to get them through. But you know, I'm not completely saying they have no chance, but I, I don't think they'll finish top four. Before we'll, we'll break down the referee, actually, let's stick with the decisions and we'll come yeah. to this after. So, the first one is Richarlison in an offside position for you because some of the Sky pundits yesterday were saying, No, actually, I'm quite happy with that goal being given. Um, I'm convinced. That Mendy has to stretch just a little bit more to his left to see the ball, which then delays his movement back across the goal in an attempt to save it. I am a hundred percent sure that that goal, if not ruled out with the foul earlier on, which I appreciate and understand VAR can't go back that far, but I think that the goal's got to be ruled out on the count of Richarlison being in an offside position and clearly impeding the goalkeeper's view. I'm a bit fifty-fifty on it. I see, I see both points of view. Um, I still don't think Mendy gets there. Even if he's slightly adjusted to the right, I, I, you know, the, the, but that's, that's, the, that's the, a non-issue. The strike is good. Does it matter if he's going to get there or not? Like, can you, when you're making that decision, can you, do you have to go that far? Well, no, because if he, if. Does he, he, does he impact the goalkeeper's view is the only question. Yeah, but if you still don't think that, that, that he's going to get there, then it, it, it doesn't matter if Richardson's but, there or not. No, but that's not the point. The offense is that you're impeding the goalkeeper's view from an offside position. It's not that. You've stopped the goalkeeper getting there. I don't think Richarlison in himself is is blocking Mendy's view completely, and he's only you know it's it's it's, it's marginal for, for me. It's marginal. The foul is worse. Obviously, that you know that that can't be changed with with VAR. But th th this one's fifty fifty for me. But anyway, you know the, the second one is worse. Then that's no debate. The second one is is awful. Um, look again, VAR, they can't call it up for a free kick only for a red card yeah but there's no question in my mind that you can't pull someone down to the ground by their hair without it being a red card 
And look, I've seen lots of nonsense online. Oh, Kukurea shouldn't have hair like that. And then he was oh, absolute nonsense. There are guys out there that would pay an absolute fortune for a barnet like that. So Mate, let's not get people into that. going to Turkey and getting transplants going to dream of having that much hair. Let's exactly. Let's not get into that. But um, you know, I, I think that's a that's violent conduct, yeah. which warrants a red card. And uh, you know. Thomas Tuchel and, and Antonio Conte got involved in a couple of exchanges yesterday. Yeah. And I think Thomas Tuchel's got every right to be agreed. Now, yeah. going into the game, Mike, a mate of mine said, what do I want to happen here? And, and a draw for me between two sides that I expect to be our rivals for yeah. top four was the perfect outcome. But as a football man, forget my allegiances to Arsenal. I could not help but feel for Chelsea at the way they've been robbed on the day. And, you know, I'm not suggesting there's corruption, but it's incompetence. Yeah. And it's incompetence that should not be allowed to continue. I saw some people tweeting over the last sort of 24 hours. Oh, well, you know, until referees get paid what players get paid, we shouldn't be able to criticise them in that way. Why are we so quick to criticise referees? This is why nobody wants to become a referee. Somebody find me a job in any walk of life whereby you can make mistakes every single week and be completely abstained of any responsibility mental it's, you, you know what like i was watching that and i'm, I'm obviously in, in the same boat as you a draw is the best scenario for, for arsenal but taking my arsenal hat off i was furious i was furious not only just because spurs but you know the level of incompetence is a disgrace the fact that there's three officials there that have looked at that the linesman the referee and mike dean of var the fact that they've looked at him pulling by his hair aggressively down to the ground you know a player who's got a reputation for being dirty by the way christian romero um you know the, the, the can, fact that can you imagine that, granite Shaka did that no I, and, and that's granite. what came to my mind like he would you know he would have been sent off in an incident we've had to look at it the fact that he has got away with that is a complete disgrace and you know mike dean he's he's not really a popular referee um and he's doing he's doing himself a disservice by making that call on, on var and it's just astounding harry that that is allowed to happen because at the end of the day like points one point can make the difference two points sorry to what, what it should have been for chelsea it can make the difference whether we finish champions league or not it can make the difference of if a team gets relegated or not so people that say this is what really annoys me yeah people that say um you know we're talking on on 90 minutes earlier and one of the guys said oh you know um i thought it was a red card but you know i don't care well, it's like you you should care because this whole argument of oh you get some and you don't get some it doesn't matter call out the decisions that you think are wrong whether they go in your favor or not in your favor because as and as they say you will get some decisions like that against your team and it's a absolute ridiculous decision i've not seen one like that that's wound me up that that much harry because it's so clear yeah it's so clear that it's it, it's an aggressive piece of play and I, that's I what it. yeah i hate it and i hate that i think the feeling of being robbed is much worse than getting beaten like yeah getting played off the park yeah it's disappointing you're angry with your team but you know it was within your control yeah when you do what chelsea did which was turn up yesterday be better better side by a country mile and then be denied the result that you deserve yeah. as a consequence of that uh, as a consequence sorry of bad refereeing you can't help but feel aggrieved and thomas tuchel you know he lost his rag a couple of times what did you make of that kind of whole sort of little 
couple of exchanges yeah. between the two. I thought Conte showed a complete and utter lack of class to go and celebrate the Spurs' first goal in the way he did in yeah. front of Thomas Tuchel like that. And I probably would have reacted as well. Yeah. Um, and, and then secondly, you know, when it heated up again as a consequence of Antonio Conte sort of disrespectfully kind of half-arsed shaking his hand. Yeah. I, I think Antonio Conte has wound both of those situations up and then has looked to step back and basically be like, who, me? Yeah. Like, it's, you know, it's, it's pathetic. And, um, you know, people say they like that and it's entertaining and all of that. And, and I get that. I haven't really got a big issue with the manager thing. But are we going to say then that that's good and enjoyable to watch when actually the only reason that comes about mm-hmm. is because of the controversy around the goals, which shouldn't yeah. happen in the first place? I mean, I, I think, to be honest, I think Conte was quite disrespectful. You know, you can celebrate all you want. But don't go and scream in an opposition number's face. It's also against a former club of his, yeah. whom he won a Premier League title yeah. with. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like he's you know he's a Juve man. It's not well. He was a Juve man, and he showed his his true colours when he, you know, this is Antonio Conte's history in a nutshell. I'm a Juve man. The Italian FA have done us a real disservice. Um, there's been a real injustice here. I will never work for the Italian FA. Trots along and takes the Italian national team manager's job. I will never, ever work for Inter. Took the Inter's job. Um, manages Chelsea, now managing Spurs. Clearly, loyalty isn't a thing for him. But I just think, like, if I were a manager that had won a league title with a football club like Chelsea, I would just... I know the emotion gets the better of you at times. I would just think twice about being an absolute knob on their patch out yeah. of respect for the yeah. fans that sung his name and supported him that backed him and and i think that's what makes it even worse for me yeah the fact that it was at chelsea and especially because it was a controversial goal yeah and especially because your team's getting battered look i don't mind celebrating and i'm not celebration police but i just think do it with some class man don't go and scream in in his face and you, you know what at the end of it i was um, i sort of calmed down a little bit and you know what i really liked Tuchel's reaction because i thought he, he handled it really well um, and when he went and celebrated and ran up, up the touchline, I was I was laughing so much. And that incident at, at the end, when uh, he like, squeezed his hand and, and wouldn't let go, I thought that was great. I thought it was absolutely great. It was as if to say, listen here, you little so-and-so. Yeah. You don't come to my patch yeah. and I go to shake your hand after all of all of the things that have gone on yeah. because that's the right thing and the classy thing to do. Yeah. And you can't even look at me. Like Conte yeah. was literally looking yeah. this way. Yeah. And he's shocked. Okay. He's shocked that Thomas Tuchel yeah. has like kept hold of his hand. Yeah. Good. Too right. And I thought Thomas Tuchel dealt with it in his post-match brilliantly. Yeah. He, you know, he didn't try and make it into this massive deal. No. He didn't do that. No. He made sure that people knew that he thought it was just kind of emotions boiling over. But he also got his points across about the decisions. I thought he worded it perfectly when he said, you know, the, the first goal was offside, should never have stood. He mentioned the foul in the build-up. The second one, he talks about, you know, I didn't know that it was okay for people to pull yeah. hair. Um, so I think he did great yeah. in getting his points across. He actually said something, didn't he, in the press conference about Anthony Taylor, that yeah. everybody in the Chelsea dressing room feels as though he has a bias against them. Yeah, he's in a bit of trouble, isn't he's he? He's in a bit of trouble yeah. for that. But you know what? If, if managers don't continue to call this stuff out, then there never will be the scrutiny on the referees because yeah. there's too many people in that camp who go, yeah. oh, they're humans, they make mistakes. The whole implementation of VAR yeah. was to limit those mistakes. 
yet we're still seeing clear and obvious ones allowed to pass. It drives me. But the FA's re reaction, Harry, is not to look at improving the, the standard referee. Yeah, it's, to punish it's, the it's, to, it's to punish the managers. It's happened to Frank Lampard last season. He said that, you know, I don't think I, we, we, we get decisions at Anfield. I mean, look, maybe he's got a point. And instead of, you know, looking at that, maybe look into making the officials better and improving the standard of the game. You know, what really annoys me is that um, someone was saying to me the, the other day, the reason I don't like Arteta is because he constantly makes excuses and blames the ref. And I think he, he pointed back to um, to the game against uh, Man, Man City, maybe. or No, he, he had COVID then, wasn't it? But one, one of the games where maybe, maybe the North London derby, or I can't remember the game. But anyway, he's saying, you know, I don't like Arteta because he, he makes excuses and calls out the refs. I think they should be called out. I think absolutely they should be called out. Well, hold on a minute. This is the way you got to look at it, Mike. Why can the media call out a manager every time he makes a mistake? This manager's crap. He's under pressure. He's yeah. got to go. He got it tactically wrong. Yeah. He made the wrong subs. He signed the wrong players. Everybody is so quick to be critical of the managers of football clubs for mistakes. Yeah. But on the other hand, you're saying mistakes are part of being a human and they should be allowed to slide. It goes back to what I was saying earlier on. There is no other job in any other walk of life whereby you can make mistakes so frequently mm. and and get away with them. Yeah. And get away with without having any scrutiny, without having any sort of post mortem. It's just not right. It's, yeah. it's so wrong. There should be there should be fronting up. I think it's absolutely time, especially with the addition of VAR and there being an extra set of eyes. There has to be a sort of forum for for referees to come out and, and explain their decisions, even if it's not a live interview. If they go and do. I don't know, release a statement or yeah. something. Like we, we just want to hear from them. We want to understand the decisions because we've got the law and, and, and that's in place. But how they interpret the law and, and how they put it into effect is something completely different. Well, we we don't we know, know as well how they interpret it. So if, if a referee was to say law one point or, or the PGMOL were to come out after a game and say law 1.14 states X, Y, Z, we believe in this incident, we saw X, Y, Z. Yeah. This is why we gave that decision. But you know you, you know why they can't do it? Because they're making genuine mistakes. So yeah. they'd basically be admitting they're wrong and they're not going to do that. Exactly. Who's, who, who's going to come out and say, I got it wrong? But you know what? We would respect them more if they did that. 100%. And you're right. Like you, People should own up to their mistakes and they should own up to their mistakes because you know we, we couldn't be Premier League referees. It's a hard job and yeah. we acknowledge that. We just want some honesty, like we just want some clarity, and then fans wouldn't feel like, oh, this referee's got an agenda against us. This referee doesn't give decisions at Anfield, doesn't give decisions at Old Trafford, because we'd understand that that they make mistakes, and and we accept that, and they accept that, and we just want to see them improve. I have debates all day, every day. It's part of my job, right? I have debates with people all the time, and a lot of the time I disagree with people, but when they put their case across when they put their points down on the table, when they make their case, a lot of the time, I, I still might not change my mind, but I'll at least respect where they're coming yeah. from. And genuinely, I would apply that same principle to referees if there was a little bit more clarity around some of the decisions they make. But unfortunately, there isn't. Look, we've been going for 40 or so minutes. Um, apologies, we didn't get to the chat for any questions. This was literally like a, hey, Mike, before we leave the studio, do you want to jump on and do a quick show? Um, we thought we'd round up uh, some of the big stuff from the Premier League, talk a little bit of Arsenal at the start as well. Um, I will be dropping some more content this week as well, so make sure you're subscribed, make sure you leave a like on the video, 
make sure you follow Mike on the socials as well. Um, yeah, look, it, we didn't plan this stream, so you wouldn't have got a notification in advance either. So if you could like it to help it push up uh, the uh, list of videos, that would be great. So like, 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 subscribe if you haven't done so already. Um, and we're going to be back very, very soon with more. Thank you uh, so, so much for tuning in. Again, apologies we didn't get around to the chat, but we'll do some uh, large Q&A sessions throughout the course of the week. Catch you all soon. Cheers. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.